What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazers beat writer Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. In today's episode, we're going to hear from Neil Olshay, the president of basketball operations for the Trailblazers, and the architect of this year's roster. He's the architect of every year's roster, but this one too. He spoke to the media on Monday in a relatively rare public media session. Not rare that GMs uh, speak after the draft and after free agency and stuff, but rare that Neil talks to the media. He does it, you know, in press conference style very, very, very rarely. So when he does speak, when he does have occasion to speak formally to the media in these type of on-the-record situations, I think it's really important to hear from him. So that's what we're going to do in this this here episode. So I want to play you some audio from what Neil said, because there's always, even though he's kind of a catch a popsicle salesman, uh, he's, there is always a grain of truth into what he's saying. He's, he will be, um, you can learn some things about this team and about how his approach to building this team. If you listen closely to what he says, and I don't think this press conference was any different. So if you didn't listen closely, I did for you, and I picked out the important parts, uh, and I'm going to play them for you in our three segments here today. We're going to start kind of with Neil's thesis, um, the sort of his plan for this offseason and how it revolved around, in, in a lot of ways, Robert Covington's fit, and then the roster was built out from there. In the second segment, we'll talk about Carmelo Anthony. I think that that's the, this was the big question. Will Carmelo come back? Uh you know, in the immediate stages of free agency, it still wasn't clear. You know, Robert Covington sort of filled that need, but... Then he came back, and it's how does he fit, and what role can we expect? So we'll talk about Carmelo Anthony in the second segment. And then we got some odds and ends in the third segment. Anthony Simons, Zach Collins' health. I think we've got some clarity on what the starting lineup's going to look like. We'll, we'll tie a bow on it with some odds and ends in the third segment. But I want to start in this first segment with sort of Neil Olshay's thesis for the offseason. I think he laid that out pretty clearly. He kind of touched on it a couple times in in the press conference, but at towards the end of the press conference, in a question, in a question from Jason Quick, he kind of hit on it as clearly as he did at any other point. Here it is. I think we're a better team than we were last year. I think we're deeper. I think our biggest challenge was on the defensive end of the floor and um, you know finishing out possessions and closing them out with rebounds. So... Obviously, we added two elite defenders with uh, Robert Covington and Derek Jones. Um, we're certainly getting better rebounding. You know, um, Robert Covington's an excellent rebounder, so is Derek. And then we've all seen what Ennis Cantor can do on the offensive glass. So, like I said, I think our two biggest challenges were, you know, getting stops and then closing out those possessions with defensive rebounds. And, you know, I think we've added players that fill those needs. So, um, you know, we're, we're always going to be bullish on our team, but – at the end of the day, look, we're we were high on the roster last year, and I think it's a combination of both. We we have the guys we thought were really going to contribute to a deep run in the playoffs from last year's team, and we've added and complemented them with what we did in free agency and trades. Neil had already mentioned that Robert Covington, he he called him one of the elite defenders in the league and, and reminded us all that he was a first-team all-defense selection back in the day. He mentioned that Derek Jones Jr. was in the 80th percentile in blocks and steals and that that really, his athleticism and activity on the defensive end really drew him to uh, to that signing. But as is sort of typical of Neil's approach, the thing he did first 
and the player he committed to first in structuring this this roster seems to be the most important. Trading for Robert Covington, giving up two firsts, and Trevor Reese's contract in order to get him from Houston was the sort of big moment of the the beginning of his offseason and sort of the big moment where he said, okay, the Blazers are really going for it. This isn't a year where they, where they just try to... Um, get the little details right around the edges. Uh, they added mostly role players, right? But this was a major role player and a major sort of swing by Olshay. Throwing in two draft picks, something he hasn't been wont to do in the past, proves that this is a this is, he understands what the timeline is. And the timeline is to be, go ahead and be good now. But he, he expanded a little more on the Covington signing. And I think it offers some sort of insight into, like I said, sort of the general thesis that Neil approached the whole offseason I was gonna, I keep wanting to call it the summer y'all but it's it's the November uh the way he approached this whole free agency draft compacted period so here's Neil on why Robert Covington was so essential to the way the Blazers began this offseason and kind of moved through it after he was acquired when we entered the offseason through draft and free agency was we wanted to find our fourth best player right we know we've got Dame CJ Nurk Carmelo is unique, obviously, but to have a guy on Damon CJ's timeline and with Nurk that we knew every night we have a fourth guy we can depend on instead of really trying to kind of cobble it together with multiple options. And we identified some guys around the league where contractually we could construct a deal. And, you know, Cub was at the top of that list when we indexed towards defense being a priority. So that was a big get for us. I mean, we think we have... Now we know we've got a fourth guy every night that can make a high enough impact to give us a chance to win. It's not just going to be Dame, CJ, and Nurk. I mean, Mello was phenomenal last year, you know, being that guy. But it was in a really awkward year where Nurk was out for the most part. Hoodie was out. You know, we were kind of cobbling things together. We really didn't go all the way in with our main group until the bubble. So, like I said, having a guy who's 30 years old, same age as Dame and CJ, same contractual timeline as Nurk was really important. But, you know, that balancing act of being able to win now, maintain future flexibility, but also make guys know that they have an ability to stay with us if things are working based on our history of making commitments to players that, you know, are successful here and make us successful. So that's fun. You get to hear Neil get an email because it's a Zoom a Zoom conversation and not a press conference in person. Also, you get to hear him use the phrase indexing for defense, which is just a wonderful Neilism. Neilism or Olshayism? I think it's a Neilism. But in any case, Robert Covington as the fourth best player is the sort of thesis of the whole offseason, right? Like, in the past, talking with Neil about rosters he's built, and uh, this was particularly true of the 2018-19 roster. He was he was pitching me on it being flat. Um, so you know, Damon CJ at the top, and then it's flat. We've got you know seven seven guys who can contribute, and uh, I think what that meant was that there wasn't really much difference between. Mo Harkless on a lot of nights and Jake Lehman. There wasn't going to be much difference in Wade Baldwin and Nick Stauskas at the end of the roster. And so outside of the top two, the Blazers didn't have this sort of clear cut. Here are Here's our be- absolute best group and that's how we'll go forward. Having both the versatility of here are our four best dudes and the fifth guy can be any number of people, could be Rodney Hood, Carmelo Anthony, Zach Collins. That is way more valuable for the Blazers than saying, here are our two or three, here are our three best players and we'll figure out the other two dudes who can play defense and who can play offense and figure it out from there. 
having a defined group but still allowing for versatility so it's not such a sort of set in stone here are our five best players that we have to both start and end the game with gives the Blazers real flexibility that they haven't had and I think Robert Covington as a fourth best player and defining getting someone who is talented enough to be clearly that is sort of what Neil went after this whole offseason. I think he sat down with Damian Lillard and said, I know we need to get better on the wings. Here are six dudes we can go get. What do you think? And I'm going to assume that Robert Covington, near the top of that list, he really helps. And I think this is sort of set up and it defined the season. Adding a guy who's not only your fourth best player, but is comfortable being a fourth best player on a roster is a real come up. It's easy to add just sort of it's not easy, but it's possible to add talent that doesn't make sense. Robert Covington is both a really complimentary part and someone capable and comfortable being a really complimentary part. There is value in understanding both that you are good and how you fit into the puzzle. Speaking of the puzzle, one of the most confusing things about this Blazers roster is where does Carmelo Anthony play? And eventually it'll be where does Zach Collins play? But for now... We, Zach Collins is going to be injured for a little bit. We'll talk about that more in the third segment. So it's it's figuring out what Melo's role is. I think it's going to be one of the real challenges for how this roster moves forward. So that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. Neil talked about it a little bit, gave us some insight into how that's going to work. So that's what we'll touch on in the second segment. But first, let's talk about Bilt Bar. You know Bilt Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's it. That's the trick. They made a delicious protein bar. But wait. They made a delicious protein bar with holiday flavors, y'all. That's right. This coming Friday, that's Black Friday here in America, Also, and that rolls into Cyber Monday, it's weird that the weekend doesn't have a nickname. But in any case, this coming weekend, right after Thanksgiving here in the United States, Bill Bar's got deals and new flavors. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Well, here's here are the new flavors. White chocolate cookies and cream. It's got 17 grams of protein in that bad boy. Also, white chocolate salted caramel. You're dreaming of a white Christmas. Built Bar's got you covered. And right now, if you order over the weekend, they'll throw in two free candy cane brownie bars with every item purchased. Plus, you're getting 25% off all products all weekend long. It's a Black Friday extravaganza from the good folks at Built Bar. So get involved. Go to BuiltBar.com and get 25% off for Black Friday. Plus, don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to get your additional 20% off. Real serious savings. BuiltBar.com. Check it out. All right. So we talked about Neil's sort of thesis, his plan for the offseason. It was about getting better defensively, becoming a better rebounding team, and it all kind of fit around getting Robert Covington. Certainly Derek Jones Jr. is involved. We'll talk about more him a little bit more in the third segment. But I think it was getting that sort of defined fourth player and then figuring out all the other pieces that fit around once you've got a really solid core that includes some level of defensive competency, some balance on both sides of the ball. And I think Covington does that. But once you've got this defined core four, the question becomes, who is the fifth? And in many ways, that sort of fifth spot, who starts, was the big question surrounding Carmelo Anthony's free agency. I thought, I he said he wanted to be back. And I, I said on this podcast that I always assumed if he says it out loud, 
The Blazers will bring him back because the optics around Hall of Famer wants to return to your small market and you choose someone over him, it just doesn't sit great. Also, Hall of Famer who chooses your small market, who gets along really, really well with your franchise star, who your star like looks up to like and really, really um, listens to, maybe like un- un- unlike any other vet he's ever had on the roster, optics are also bad on that. Maybe the juju is bad on that. So because of his relationship with Dame, because of how publicly he said he wanted to be back, I assume Carmelo would be back. But there was still this huge question. How, like, how, how does he fit? Where does he play? Um, because Carmelo Anthony has played 17 seasons in the NBA and he's never been a bench player. He's never come off the bench. Um, most of that was because he's always been a very, very good basketball player and it, would, it wasn't even a question. But in OKC, it was a question. You know, he famously left. <laughs> hey, P, they want me to come off the bench. Probably should have. You know what? My man P should have leaned in and said, Mello, you should come off the bench. Maybe it would have worked out better for the Thunder. In Houston, they basically were going to play better players over him because he hadn't sort of bought into a lesser role. They were going to play lesser sort of profile players. They are going to play Gary Clark, specifically. They were going to play Gary Clark in, in Carmelo Anthony's minutes, and it said, you can, you can either watch Gary Clark play or you can go home. And they agreed that he would go home. And he sort of unceremoniously left the NBA because he was unwilling to take the smaller role. But he was humbled. He he realized his place with the Blazers. And I think he trusts this franchise to do right by him. But that doesn't mean that he, he's going to not play. Like Carmelo Anthony didn't sign here to get the Chris Kamen where he just, um, you know, has one year of contributing and then one year of being a high paid assistant coach. You're like a assistant coach who's in really good shape. Uh, he was going to have a role. And the question is, what is that role going to be? And Neil touched on that. But before he touched on the role, he said this, which I think kind of gives you a sense of how uh, the signing Mello was more than just he can score in the isolation in the mid post. You know, obviously getting Carmelo back was probably the most important thing, honestly. You know, what he does for our spirit and our culture and the way he was able to perform and compliment our guys on the court. Um, and make an impact right away. Have a guy that's willing to take and make big shots down the stretch was huge. And I cut that question off because Neil was talking a little bit about Harry Giles there at the end. But the spirit of the team, I think, is what really is what Mello con- contributed to in some way that they valued. I, I I don't think that was his only value. Like I don't I don't want to reduce him to that. But there was some sort of um, undeniable vibe that Carmelo brought to the team and. Um, I, I can't understate how much the guys in the locker room looked up to him, loved him, and listened when he spoke. Um, it's just you he brought a he brought a cachet and a um an aura about him that no one else they possibly could have added to the roster could have could have contributed. I mean, they're just there there aren't guys who have Carmelo Anthony's um sort of resume and also his temperament that he brought to the locker room last year so i think neil touches on it there but there's more there's basketball stuff like the aura and the cachet that's important i don't want to say that the the sort of like shooting 19 footers is more important but how carmelo fits plays into how he acts as a leader so the question is kind of is really uh where does he fit and so I'm going to play some audio about Neil talking about the importance of signing Carmelo Anthony and then his role and expectations for his role and whether he'll come off the bench. The voice you're going to hear that's not Neil's is Jason Quick of The Athletic. 
I think Jason's uh, direct and straightforward line of questioning gave us real insight here to wh- how Neil and Mello approached this offseason together. He had multiple opportunities with, with many teams this year to join and play the kind of role he'll play for us. And the fact that he chose us over them is a really nice validation with that, that we're doing things the right way and we're treating people well when they're here. Now, what kind of discussions did you have with Mello regarding role and specifically was coming off the bench broached? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, Mello understands right now. You know, look, I think ideally for him, he would still start. I mean, I think that's where his mindset is. He's never come off the bench. You know, obviously that'll be Terry's call. But, you know, I think the conversation, Jason, was, you know, make the decision to come back based on the reality that you'll likely come off the bench to start the game. If that's if that's not an oxymoron, I guess. <laughs> um, but he'll probably come off the bench. I think I think he can be featured more with the second unit. Um, you know, in a first unit where you have Dame, CJ, Nurk, right? Like, you know, with Mello last year it was different. But I think with, you know, depending on who starts at three, we assume it's Cub, um, you know, and Derek. You know, there may not be as many shots there for him. So being able to feature him with the second group, get him some post-ups, um, you know, have him be more of a target for plays with that second group probably gives him – you know, a higher usage with the second group than the first group. And then, you know, like Mel and I talked, Mel and I talked about, I mean, if his minutes get limited more into like the 20, 22 minute range, we're not as concerned about back to backs, right? We're not getting the wear and tear. We're not extending him. If he's having a night, you know, where he's got it going, Terry can extend and go longer. You know, if it's a third game in four nights, maybe he plays shorter minutes so we can kind of preserve them. Um, I also think what's important, it's, Guys get too caught up in who starts. It's really about who finishes games. And I think based on matchups, based on what we need on the floor, you know, the trust factor with Mello in terms of making big shots and understanding what it takes, as you guys all saw in the bubble, to close out a playoff caliber game, you know, that's where we'll need Mello as well. And we'll want him to be fresh in those minutes. So there's a little gem tucked in there about the Blazers' potential starting lineup that we'll uh, address in the third segment. But right now, just to focus on Mello here, I think Mello playing like 20 minutes a night off the bench is the ideal role for him for this specific team. It does create um, some interesting um, Carmelo Anthony Ennis Cantor front courts with Rodney Hood also on the court. So um, if you like high scoring basketball, check in when the Blazers bench is in there because I don't know if they're going to stop anyone. Um, obviously, you can mix and match some other parts to make that team not as horrific on defense, but um, whew, I guess when you have Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony on the roster, that is a, they might play together. That's one of the options. The second unit being bad on defense doesn't matter as much as long as um, there is a some group of five that is is competent. So I don't want to I don't want to get too far ahead of myself being mean to Mello and Ennis Cantor on defense. They've only rejoined the team for a couple days now. But I think Neil having that conversation with Mello in general, like just ha- putting it out there, "Hey man, you're if you come back and we want you to come back, you are you are probably going to have to play a second unit type role you know that he started a bunch of games the roster was weird last year he played 33 minutes a night obviously he wasn't going to do that this season but he um they kind of deployed this type of thing they brought him out early with cj and then brought him back so he could go and be they could run the two-man game against second units i can see a similar thing happening and mellow as a backup four who plays against second units is is the ideal mellow at this stage like this is 
Um, this is both like the best way to use him. And if he's willing to do it, it's, um, it keeps things harmonious. And I think, um, Neil already having, already having broached that topic with him is very important because that's sort of the crux of bringing him back is that he has to have first a role and he has to have a role that he accepts. And if, if, if they are um, sort of planting those seeds a month before the season starts, I think um, it can be the type of thing that he buys into and it, and it won't end up being a problem. Okay, in the third segment, let's come back, close out the show. We've got some odds and ends. I want to talk about the Blazers' starting lineup. I want to talk about Anthony Simons, a couple injury updates. Stick with me. We'll close out the show with all of that good stuff. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers. We talked about the Blazers finding their fourth best player in Robert Covington. We talked about Carmelo Anthony's role. Sounds like a bench role playing 20 to 25 minutes a night. Ideal role for him. So what I want to do to close out the show is talk about some odds and ends. One, when Neil was talking about Carmelo Anthony, he seemed to give us, give up the goose on who's going to start for this team. I had guessed, and I've done this multiple times in this podcast, your boy was wrong, or at least I appeared to be wrong. I'd guess that Rodney Hood and Robert Covington would start. Um, I thought that would allow the Blazers to have to not have their best two defensive wings play every single minute together, which would reduce how bad the uh, defense on the second unit might be, which I'm still, like I've hinted at now a couple times, uh, somewhat concerned about. But the but Neil said in that um, audio where he's talking about Carmelo Anthony's role coming off the bench is that the team is sort of assuming that Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. will start at the three and four somewhat interchangeably in some audio that I didn't play you. Neil compared their roles to Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, uh, which guys, you know, Aminu was the four, quote unquote, um, and functioned as the four in the offense, which means like he set screens in certain spaces. Um, but at some point they run a high pick and roll with Damon Nurk and you just space out. Um, you know, there's some action stuff where being the three is very different from being the four, but defensively it's not that much different. And in sort of the read and react stuff, the Blazers will run after they kind of get out of their first actions. It's there. Those, those positions are relatively interchangeable. Although um, someone will be defined as the four and someone will be defined as the three. And I would assume that it's Derek Jones Jr. who's the small forward in this case. But that sounds like your starting lineup. Um, you know, Neil says it's up to Terry, but this team, it's the, the, the everything works together. The roster construction leads to who Terry starts, leads to who comes off the bench, all these things. So I think it's going to be Dame, CJ, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, and Nurk, Yusuf Nurkic are your starting five on night one. Obviously, that can change. That leaves Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood and Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor off the bench. And then who's that 10th guy? Well, that would be the somewhat forgotten man, Amphrey Simons, who was supposed to be the best player that Neil O'Shea ever drafted and turned into a 20-year-old who looked a little bit out of sorts, as many people his age might in the league. Blazers aren't touting him for star power any longer. But if you were wondering why the Blazers didn't sign a veteran backup point guard, well, Neil Olshay has an answer for you. We have a backup point guard. It's Anthony Simons. We have, you know, guys, we, I know this becomes a question, but 95% of our possessions last year were played with Dame or CJ at point guard. That's our model. 
And we believe Anthony Simons is as good or better as any of the minimum point guards we'd be able to go out to go get. Things done changed. Anthony Simons is now better than or as good or better than a minimum point guard signing. And he used to be a guaranteed star. Neil Olshay has changed his tune. Two things about that comment. One, um, this if you listen to this podcast, I always kind of thought this is the direction Neil would go. Maybe it wasn't maybe not my favorite idea, but um the 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 franchise is so committed to what uh, Ant can become that they were always going to give him one more shot at it. But I also think kind of layered re- re- reading between the lines a little bit in that statement is that maybe um, Anthony Simons is going to get a somewhat limited shot at it. Um, Neil saying that 95% of our possessions came with Dame and CJ at point guard. Um, my, the numbers I could quickly find don't exactly back that up, uh, but they played a lot of it. And particularly after about um, Christmas when they recommitted to Dame or to CJ coming off the bench and being the de facto point guard. They, they didn't, that was not always how the rotations work. They were not staggering Dame and CJ at the beginning of the year. Hence the 95% thing I think is a little bit off. Um, they, uh, but they recommitted to it around Christmas and CJ did start running the second unit. Um, so kind of, I think sort of baked into hidden to what Neil's saying in there is that maybe they don't, maybe Anthony Simons doesn't have a guaranteed spot. Like I think he'll play early on in the season, but I think what Neil is saying is that we are totally comfortable with CJ being the backup and we don't need a veteran backup point guard because our, our sort of emergency point guard is Anthony Simons. We have Dame, we'll transition to CJ and then, uh, and then Ant will be be the other guy. If 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 there's a concern about the, the Blazers team is their lack of sort of creators, um, not just shot creators, because I think uh, Rodney Hood is okay in ISO and and so and obviously Carmelo Anthony, but guys who can create for each other um, off the bounce, like uh, can they create for teammates off the bounce? I'm not sure the Blazers have a ton of those guys, but they have Damian Lillard. They're going to be a really really good offensive team. That's not a thing I'm worried about. Other audio, I'm not going to play you, but important notes from the Neil Olshay press conference. Zach Collins, uh, as I had reported on this podcast previously, um, Neil told Neil told uh, NBC Sports Northwest this in an interview that they didn't really publish. It kind of just like was it's it's still just hidden on the internet. But now he said it publicly, so we'll say it again here. Zach Collins not going to be available and likely ready the second or third week in January. Um, Neil didn't give a timeline. He just basically said like Zach Collins hasn't in the previous interview. He said Zach Collins is going to like start on court work in, in the third, second or third week of November, which starting on court work is not exactly ready for December. And Zach had told, uh, Jason Quick of the Athletic interview in August that if the season started around MLK Day, he thought he would be ready by then. So sort of the tea leaves that I had read previously between what Neil told NBC and what Zach told Quick was sort of the exact thing that Neil confirmed. Second or third week of January is when you can expect Zach Collins to be back on the floor. He's not going to be ready. Sounds like he's going to miss a month of the regular, first month of the regular season. Rodney Hood, however, is tracking to play on opening day. Same thing I reported from the the lost interview with with NBC. Um, Rodney Hood is, you know, a year removed from surgery. He'll be more than a year removed from the injury itself. Uh, he's Neil had said in that interview with NBC that Hood was beyond rehab and just getting back to sort of playing himself in shape, and he's tracking to be ready on opening night, to use a Neil term. Careful about listening to too many Neil interviews. You will start using his Neilisms. They're infectious. Last little bit of news is that 
pretty much everyone's back in Portland. Uh, sounds like Yusuf Nurkic is uh, still in Bosnia dealing with a family issue, but everyone else seems to be is either in Portland or arriving in Portland this week, which means that they will begin the process of ramping up for what pro- promises to be a somewhat complicated begin to the season. Basically, um, the Blazers on November 24th, that's Tuesday, uh, we're going to begin uh, testing, coronavirus testing, COVID testing in in market, as Neil says, in Portland. And then after you get your first negative COVID test, then you self-isolate. And after you self-isolate, you're available to come back to camp on November, come back to the to the facility on December 1st next week. Or if you're sort of, if you're not in that first wave that gets tests on Tuesday and you get tests later in the week, then you'd be on track to return to the facility on December 5th, which and then the Blazers will start training camp on December 6th. So we're just a few days away, less than two weeks from training camp. And then on from there will be less than three weeks from opening night. It's coming quickly. But I think Neil laid out, um, I think Neil gave us his, gave us his vision for the off season and answered a bunch of the big questions. Here's who starts. Here's how Carmelo fits. Here's why, here's why I added who I added. I think, um, Neil offers insights in these. It's it's good to listen to him when he talks. Like he gives he he gives up the goods. You know he's not um, super forthcoming in other public appearances. So when he does make these, I really try to bring you the audio from Neil. I want you to hear it because I think you can really pick up. Um, you can pick up on stuff. You can there's there's little. Neil will reveal some things if you listen close enough. And I truly believe the best way to learn about a team is to listen what the people involved with the team say. Listen to the players, listen to the coaches, listen to the executives. These are the people who give us the most valuable insight. Speaking of valuable insight, the Blazers have introduced some of their new players this week. Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr., old new player, returning, Ennis Cantor. Uh, I think there's a chance we'll get Carmelo Anthony in meet availability. I haven't checked the uh, the notes from the team yet, but I'm I'm pretty sure that'll happen later this week. I want to play that for you in audio on the, some audio clips, some of the highlights from that. What you need to know later this week. So check your feed. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>